This is kind of an in-between connected to last weekend's message, a word I felt like the Lord gave me about tests we're going to take this year. This is going to be a year of testing. And uh, the leader's cut then kind of connected to that. This weekend's leader's cut connects to it. Next weekend's leader's cut is about kind of in light of me and Tim doing the podcast, the, the friends you need in your life to pull the call of God off in your life. Okay. But this weekend, I feel like I owe it to you because some of y'all were a little bit bothered by the fact that the first message of the year was congratulations, more testing. So I feel like I owe you one. And here's the title of this week's message, ways to make the test easier. Anybody want to make the test easier? Okay. Holla at your boy. We don't have to just embrace the hardness. Yes, it's going to be hard, but I believe there are ways we can make the test God asks us to take easier. All right, so I'm going to submit four things to you. I hope you're taking notes. Let's start with number one. If you want to make the test easier, turn the timer off. Turn the timer off. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. God is patient toward you. This is his nature. This is his character. He is patient. Now, let me give you Preston's simple man's definition of this godly word, patient. Lovingly, not in a hurry. That's patience. It's not just giving you another chance. Lovingly, not moving too quickly. He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Well, Preston, this appears as though this is talking about the unrepentant coming to know Jesus. True, but it's also pointing to the nature of our God. He is patient with us. Now, think think back, go back to a period of your life where you had to take a lot of tests. Okay, for some of us, the last time you were in that season was college, some high school, whatever level you stopped being educated. Part of being educated was taking lots of tests. Do you ever remember that feeling you used to get when you were taking a test and you were halfway through the test and you heard the prof say, five more minutes and you're look, you got pages of this test left and five minutes to finish it. Remember that feeling? Okay, there's a stress that comes with being in the middle of a test, but feeling like you're behind. I I want you to take a little bit of the pressure off in the midst of your test, acting like God has said, there's a time limit on this test. No, no, no. God is patient. As we take the test he asks us to take, God's tests are not set to a timer. They're set to a teaching. There's something he wants you to learn. That's what he's measuring by. Okay, let me try and and illustrate this. With my children, I have two teenagers and now a 20-year-old and a four-year-old. And being back with a four-year-old, it's reminding me of the kind of parent I was when my kids were four. Obviously, I've aged and I do some things differently. One of the things I realize is all of our kids go through different seasons. And sometimes it takes one of our children longer to learn a lesson that God's trying to teach them 
than we hope it would take them. Am I the only parent who's ever felt that way? Okay. What you hope will take three months, one semester, takes a child three and a half years, right? And in the middle of it, it's excruciating, and, and we lament, and we're bothered at how, how long it's taking, how slow the progress is, but here's what I'm learning. 10 years later, you don't remember the amount of time it took them to take the test. Here's how you process it. They learn their lesson. They learn what God was trying to teach them. That's what I remember. I don't remember the stopwatch. But when we're in the middle of it, it's like we time every test. Here's what's awesome about God. I don't believe he's timing our tests. I'm never gonna get that feeling. I'm running out of time. He is patient. Just go study it. Go study the gospels this week. Go read them all and answer this question. Did Jesus ever run anywhere? I'll give you the answer to this test. He did not. He walked everywhere. He's a patient God. Don't take God's test at man's pace. Hurry will cause you to miss things and mess things up. Having said that, because I know there's some of us that are like, woohoo, I feel like I just won the lottery. I can take forever to take the test God asked me to take. That's called procrastination. And, and let me just, if that's you, if you have a tendency to procrastinate as it relates to the tests God asked you to take. Let me help you understand something. Procrastination creates pileups. And pileups create debilitating stress. Here's what I believe. God doesn't just bombard us with a multitude of tests, typically. Now, every once in a while in life, you might be in a season where it just seems like there's tests everywhere. But typically... God, in his grace, he gives us a test over here, but doesn't make us take four other tests simultaneously because he wants us to focus on what he's trying to teach us over here, right? But if you choose not to take the test, the test isn't going away. And what happens is, then you step into another season and the test you should have already passed, you haven't even taken, now the tests start piling up. And I will tell you from experience, here's what happens. Debilitating stress. It would be like owing the IRS millions of dollars when you make $8 an hour. It's a hole you feel like you can't get out of because God hasn't changed his mind. He still desires you to learn these lessons. Take the test as he administers them, but take the pressure off to hurry your way through them. Turn the timer off if you want the test to be easier. Here's the second thing. If you want to make the test easier, turn in some extra credit. Anybody really appreciate the fact that teachers give extra credit? Can we just put our hands up and celebrate one another who are in this camp? Then put it up high. I am proud to say I couldn't have survived school without extra credit. Yeah. Yeah, the rest of you are like looking down at us. Like, I did not need extra credit. Good on you. I was the one that ruined the curve for everybody else. And when the teacher said, here is extra credit, my heart did somersaults. Okay, I believe God gives us in grace. It's his grace, his love for us. He gives us the opportunity to earn some extra credit with every test that we take. Let me say it like this. God gives extra credit to you on your test when you help others as they take their tests. 
Proverbs 11.25, I love the way the message translation translates this. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. This brings up, I, I believe, in my opinion, these are just two, there are other ways, but these are two of the biggest ways I believe God gives us extra credit, divine help on our test, when we bless others in need and when we help those in trouble. The, these two things right here, I believe God loves it, and that's Proverbs eleven twenty five. So let's talk about these two. First, blessing someone in need. Let me show you the kind of family you're a part of. Go all the way back as God established the family of God through Abram. And I know that's the nation of Israel, but remember, even as Gentiles, we've been grafted into God's family. Let me show you his heart for his family. Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3. God says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. This is really important that you understand this. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. I love that in between I will bless you and you'll be a blessing to others. God says, I'll make you famous. Here's my personal belief. One of the things God desires that his children be famous for is being a blessing to others. In our community, in this valley, all over the earth, the children of God are meant to be known as being just like their daddy. For God so loved the world that he gave. He is the capital G generous one, perfect in his generosity, and he desires that we be known for blessing others. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. God blesses his family because his desire is that his family be known for being a blessing. Okay, this brings up a question. Why don't we bless others more? Have you ever thought about this? Like some of you are thinking, Preston, this is elementary Christianity. We're blessed to be a blessing. This is elementary. I don't disagree with you at all. But here's what I would say. If you don't do it, apparently you're still in kindergarten. If you know it and you don't do it, that makes you a hearer of God's word, not a doer of God's word. Preston, we know this. We're blessed to be a blessing. Okay. Are you known for it? Are you known for being a blessing? Why don't we bless others more than we do? Here's the answer, I think. When you think you're running low on blessings, you don't bless others. It's kind of like when, you, when we have this in our city, you may pull up to an intersection and see someone holding a sign asking for cash. And you know, you, you've seen enough men and women on the street like this, and so you, you try and you know, occupy yourself to make it look like you don't even notice them so that they don't even you know, make you feel guilty about not doing anything. So you're on your phone trying to act like you're busy. And then you just happen to look at them to see if they've passed your car and they are staring right at you. I mean, their eyes, his eyes are burning a hole in your soul. Now you're like, I at least have to address this man. You roll down the window and here's what you say. Sorry, bro, I don't have cash. And you roll the window back up. What are you actually communicating? 
Because there's a number of ways you could have blessed that man. What are you actually communicating? I'm sorry. I don't have enough to bless you right now. This is a really big subconscious thought. If you don't think there's enough of God's blessings in your life, you are never going to be a blessing to those in your life. When you know you have enough, you share. When you think you have too little, you hoard. Remember one of the first lessons we learned? This, we had a funny moment in our house with two teenage boys and, and a four-year-old little boy sitting at the dinner table. And my, my two teenagers, uh, two teenage boys, eat. They could eat horses on their own. Like, they, they eat so much. We, we go to Chipotle. I feel like I'm the only father in America who goes to Chipotle for two people, and it feels like it costs nearly $100. Okay? I tell you, I need two quesadillas. I need three soft tacos. I, I need guacamole. Like, so much food, okay? So we get to the end, like if we have pizza, we go to our favorite pizza spot, and, and everybody at the table starts to see there's only a couple pieces left. Our two teenage boys will start becoming extremely territorial. They'll already have two pieces on their plate, but they, say, they see two last pieces of the pizza, and what do they do? It's like they lock eyes, and you can see there's a war about to go down. Who can reach for them first? So they, they start trying to grab the pieces, you know, and here's what the four-year-old says. Boys, sharing is caring. <laughs> I thought, you deserve this right now. Out of the mouth of babes. Sharing is caring, boys. Okay, we learn this early on in life. But as adults, and especially as children of God, if we're not careful, if, if we don't believe we have enough of the blessings of God, we will not share any of them with anybody else. It's a horrible way to live. Horrible. And let me just say, is not our God the God who took a, a, a couple of loaves and a few fishies and fed 15 plus thousand people? Yeah. Yeah, but I don't have enough. Your little in the hands of your Lord does more for them and for you than if you hoarded it to yourself. Open up your hands. But even before you can open up your hands, you have to open up your eyes and become grateful for the little things God has blessed you with in this life. Because it isn't until you get a revelation of how much God has blessed you that you enjoy being a blessing to everybody else in your life. Proverbs 22, verse nine. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. God makes a promise. He who has a generous eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. What's a generous eye? An eye looking to be a blessing. An eye which looks to be a blessing can always find a place to be a blessing, and always knows how to be a blessing. That's a generous eye. Hebrews 13, verse 16. And don't forget to do good and to share. Sharing is caring with those in need. 
these are the sacrifices that please God. Well, Preston, I, I, I just, I don't, I don't even know what God wants. It just seems so hard to please him. What well, is? Because you got to sacrifice. He just said, he loves it when you choose not to hold on to what you have, but make the decision to share it. You want to make your test easier? Bless those in need. What would 2023 look like if every week of your life you chose to at least one time in a week bless someone, extravagantly bless someone in need, even if you yourself feel you're in need? I believe it'd be a game changer. Not just a great year. I believe it would bring in a new season. Here's the second part of extra credit, I believe. Help someone in trouble. The more weighty your test feels, the more you should help carry someone else's weight. Galatians 6 verse 2. Share each other's burdens. There's that word again. The word we love in kindergarten when the other kid is playing with the toy we want and we whip out that phrase, sharing is caring. Give it to me. But as adults, we hate that phrase. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Watch this next verse. I love the way the New Living translates it. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important, Preston. I'm sorry, the test I'm taking is just, it's so weighty and, and so big and, and I, I just, I, I don't have the bandwidth or ability to help you in your trouble. I'm so sorry. Scripture says, Preston, stop tripping. You're a fool when you talk like that. You are not that important. I have divinely enabled you. In the same way I'm a very present help in times of trouble, I want my children to be. I want the community that does not yet know me to look in the direction of my house and my family and have the thought, I can count on them when I am in trouble. If someone, if I need someone to take care of my child while I get cancer treatments, I can count on the family of God to step in on my behalf. When I am in trouble, I can go to the ones who serve the God who is a very present help in trouble. We are not too busy. We are not too important to hit the pause button and help those in trouble. The less your life is about you, the less stress you'll feel about your life. Listen, if I were your enemy, I would try and convince you that you're weak. Because if I can get you convinced that you're weak, I basically debilitate you. And you'll just sit there and stay there because you don't think you have the energy to go anywhere else. And furthermore, I now have blocked you from being able to receive one of God's richest blessings in response to you helping someone else who feels weak. So if I can get you to believe you're weak, you won't go anywhere, so you're not a threat to me anymore, and you won't get in on the blessing of God and helping someone else who feels weak. I got you right where I want you. Just by convincing you you're too weak to help. Why do you think we talk about if this is your church home? If, if this church, God has asked you to make your family in this season of your life, why do you think we talk about you need to serve here? Not because we need you to serve here, but because you need to. 
Well, Preston, I, I just, this is a really difficult test, testing season and I don't have enough. Let me tell you the kind of people who love to serve here. I go back to COVID, a man in his 80s. You remember in the height of COVID, it was a very scary time for those who had pre-existing conditions. And, and there was a lot of fear. This could kill me. So here we have a man in his 80s who used to greet at that door right outside this room. And in the middle, the height of the pandemic, he is serving with an oxygen tank behind his legs. And it wrapped around in his nose. And I went up to him one service and I said, why are you doing this? When so many like you, and there's no judgment, so many in your stage of life are, are just trying to be safe and, and until everybody figures out what's going on, why are you doing this? And this was his answer. Preston, this is our family. And if I'm going to go down, I'm not going to do it alone. And he ended up passing. But here's the way I see it. He was going to greet in the house of God all the way to the end. That's a hero. That's a hero. Okay. Preston, I'm just, I don't have the bandwidth to serve. You should be at the top of the list of people who do serve here. Because I just read you the scriptures. Those who are a blessing to others are blessed. Those who refresh will be refreshed, God's word says. So if you're exhausted and you need to be refreshed, there's no better place to serve than in the house of the Lord. And I promise you, I'm not doing this because we need more people to help. Here's the third thing. If you want to make the test easier, watch your weight. Watch your weight. And I'm not talking about this is not some beginning of the new year, you know, message. Trust me. The more weight you unnecessarily carry, the more quick your trigger will unfortunately be. This is a lesson I have learned as an adult over the years. As I carried weight that God did not ask me to carry. I have made my tests harder by trying to take other people's tests. That's how much I carried their weight. And I don't know if you've learned this yet. God will not allow them to use you as their proxy to pass the test. They got to do it on their own with him. You can support them, but you cannot take the test for them. What weight are you carrying? Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. What are the weights that slow us down? The weights that slow us down the most are the weights that most weigh us down. And unfortunately, you need to learn this. This is one of the ploys of your enemy. The more weighed down you are, the easier it is to get you all riled up. You know this about you. The more weight you carry, the easier it is to get you to snap. You remember, I don't know if you went to a school like this, uh, but in, in industrial arts in the sixth grade at Kennedy Junior High back in the day, 
we had an amazing industrial arts teacher. And one of the things, one of the projects we did was we took popsicle sticks and created a bridge. Anybody ever, ever, ever do that assignment? And, and the, the teacher would test it with weights, right? And your grade was based on how much weight your bridge could handle. Remember that? Okay. Life is a lot like that assignment. Life involves weight. But is not our God the one who says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light? Okay, this does not mean that everything's going to be easy. What it means is, Preston, it's light because you let me carry it with you. Some of my favorite words in scripture, when Jesus says to his disciples on one side of the lake, let's go to the other side. He literally says, let us. We're going to do this together. The weights of your life will always be lighter when you allow Jesus to carry them with you. But listen, some of us have superhero syndrome. We're trying to prove to God that we're strong. And the way we've chosen to do it is carry everybody else's weight. How's that working out for you? Your trigger is the quickest of anybody you know. I don't want to go too far down this road, but growing up in Texas and, and spending time outdoors, and, and, and I'm not trying to offend anybody uh, if, if you have an issue with guns, but uh, grew up with, with weapons and playing around out in the field. And, you know, I don't know why, but there's something fun about shooting at paper from long distances. I don't know. When I was a young adults pastor, there was a young man in our ministry who had done two tours in, our, in Iraq, and he was only like 23, 24. He had already done two tours. And I had preached a certain message, and the next week he brings me this box that was really heavy, and inside of it was a 45 and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. And he said, Preston, there's something I have to tell you about this gun. The trigger is very sensitive because in battle, the difference between a slow trigger and fast trigger could mean your life. So this trigger isn't like any other trigger you've used before. Well, the first time I went to the gun range, sure enough, it made all my other guns feel like I had to be like this to pull the trigger. And this one, it was like you could just go and it fired. Okay, listen. This is what some of us look like when we carry weight God did not ask us to carry. We have a hairpin type trigger where all somebody in your life needs to do is just go and you go whoosh and you snap. And it isn't about them. It isn't about when I come home and one of my sons doesn't say something exactly the right way or doesn't do something I was hoping he would do. It's actually that God's using that to expose me, to reveal to me. I'm carrying things he didn't ask me to carry. Let me tell you, if this is what you are like, first, you're amazing. That you would even desire to help people in that way and make your life so difficult and miserable, essentially, because you just want to help them carry their weight. You are amazing, but it's killing you. You are crushing beneath this weight, whether you realize it or not. And when you snap, 
It's not because something's wrong with you. It's because of the weight you are putting on you. And God didn't ask you to carry their weight. He asked you to share your weight with him. This year, I think you would benefit greatly if you would just do a consistent analysis of your weights. What's weighing you down? Never make the people you love the most become targets for your quick trigger. It's not fair to them. It's not about them. It's about the weight you're carrying that's crushing you. And here's the last thing. If you want to make the test easier this year, work on your weekly assessment. If you've been at this church for any amount of time, you know this is important to me. This comes out of a revelation the Lord gave me called Needy by Design. But I feel like I always have to keep talking about it because so few actually do it. Easy tests are harder, and hard tests are impossible when the test taker is unhealthy. Easy tests are hard when you're not healthy. You gotta know this. Like some of us think we're doing awesome, but easy tests right now are excruciatingly difficult. And here's why, because we're not as healthy as we thought. Again, not throwing shade to anybody. It was just, it, it was eye-opening for me as we navigated COVID. I just thought most people were doing really well and were really healthy. And then we got into a pressure cooker and we got to see what was actually inside of everybody. And we saw more infighting in our family than I've ever seen in my lifetime. Why? Was it about the issues they were fighting about? I don't think it was. It was actually about how unhealthy they were. They were just vomiting all the time. Everything is harder when I'm not healthy. So I wanna, I wanna give you a couple of questions that I think it would be wise if you just ask these three questions on a weekly basis, all right? And if you put a marker in Genesis three, turn over there and we'll wrap up. We see essentially these three questions addressed in Genesis chapter three. Right after the fall, Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit God told them not to eat. And I just wanna show you these questions because I, I actually believe if you will run towards these questions consistently, you will always be healthy. Here's the first question. Where am I? Where am I? This is the first question God asks in Scripture. Genesis 3, verse 9. The Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? Now, I, let me just, I, I, I've taught on this before. Let me just remind you, God is everywhere and knows everything. Is God asking a locational question? God already knew where Adam was. He already knew. Here's how he knew, because he was already there. God is everywhere all at once, omnipresent. Okay, so I don't believe God was asking a locational question. I think it's possible this was not the first time God had asked Adam this question. I think they'd go on walks and I, can just, I can't wait to get to heaven to see what their walks were like. I don't think this is the first time God had asked this question to Adam. I don't know about you, but I feel like God asked me this question pretty regularly. Hey, Preston, where are you right now? Something will pop up out of me and God will go, hey, he doesn't say what just happened. He'll say, hey, where, where are you right now? Where are you right now? 
what, what's going on in here? God knows where you are, but he's trying to make sure you always know where you are. Because if you don't know where you are, you will take the people you love most on emotional roller coasters they don't want to ride on. If you don't know where you are, there's a term for that, lost. Lost. And I don't know why this is true of the human condition, but it is. Misery loves company. And when we're lost, we like to bring other people into our mess because it makes us feel better not to be alone. If you don't know where you are, someone needs to tell you, and I'm saying this to me too, if you don't know where you are, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, financially, professionally, if you don't know where you are in the six major areas of your life, you are making life miserable for the people around you, whether you realize it or not. You are a gift to us when you know where you are. But when you are clueless about where you are, sometimes you're a threat to us. Where are you? How often do you ask yourself this question? A major part of being healthy is being aware of where I am. Sometimes I'll be in a particular place and I have learned now as a middle-aged man, when I'm in this place emotionally, I need to be quiet. I need to not talk. Because if I talk when I'm in this place, I've learned I will typically regret whatever comes out of my mouth. Anybody else like that? Okay. And I've had to learn the hard way that sometimes I can hurt the people I love so if I don't know where I am, I'm just gonna keep talking. But when I know where I am, and I know, oh, I'm over here, I need a little time. Shh, Preston. Don't ruin what God is doing in your relationship with your son by being unaware of where you are and taking something out on him that has nothing to do with him. Where are you? Here's the second question. Why am I here? Don't just ask, where am I? Answer the question, how did I get here? Look at verse 10. Adam replies to God. Remember the question, where are you? Adam says, I heard you walking in the garden. That was not a foreign sound. They walked a lot in the garden. He said, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. Where are you? I'm in hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I was afraid. Why are you afraid? Because I'm naked. This is genius level self-awareness. Because we don't see recorded in scripture, Adam say in response to God's question, where are you? See, the thing is, see what had happened was, we don't see this. We see genius level self-awareness. I heard you coming and so I hid. And I hid because I was afraid and I'm afraid because I'm naked. I've lost my covering and I'm freaking out about it. This is an amazing exchange between God and the first man, Adam. 
if you don't know, if you don't own where you are, you will stay where you are. One of the reasons you need to be able to answer the question, how did I get here? Because some of us have a tendency to blame everybody else for where we are. Here's the dangerous part about that. You are disempowering yourself. So if you literally say, well, if I am where I am, I'm in this bad spot because of somebody else or everybody else, here's the problem, then the only people who can get you out of there are those people. I don't want to live like that. No, I want to own what I can own because I don't want to stay in this place. I want to keep moving through this place, being led by the spirit of the living God. But I will not go if I don't own where I've stopped. And so I have to honestly answer the question, how did I get here? Well, I was feeling overwhelmed by this and this and this. And that's why I'm kind of hiding, Lord. Okay, you know what's awesome about God? He doesn't yell at you when you're honest with him. Lord, I was just feeling this, this, and this. I've been feeling a little precarious in this season. And this, these are the thoughts that I've been having. It's amazing when you bring God in to where you are, what God does no matter where you are. Adam says, I hid. How did I get here? I'm hiding because I'm afraid. And I'm afraid because I lost my covering. I'm naked now. Now watch this third question, because I, I, I hadn't seen this before until this week. Question number three, what do I need? Okay, where am I? How did I get here? But now that I know where I am and how I got here, what do I need as I am here? Look in verse 21. Remember what Adam said. He said, I hid because I was afraid. I'm afraid because I'm naked. That's the Texas translation, naked. I, I'm naked. Cheeks out. No covering. I'm in hiding. Watch this. I never, I've never seen this until this week. It's not a question that is asked. But we see it's a response to a question that really was asked. Jesus said, ask your father for what you need, but he knows what you need before you even ask him. It's one of the great things about our God. He knows what you need, but he loves it when we ask him to help us with our needs. Look at this, verse 21. After the curse, God curses the serpent, the woman, the man. Watch what he does next. Verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. This is not what they deserved. They had just sinned for the first time on the earth. They deserved the curse. Well, they got a curse. Great news though, in the garden that day, God said, but here's how I'm gonna break the curse. And then God goes to work and says, hey, I know you didn't actually tell me you needed this, but I know what you need even before you know what you need. You told me you were hiding because you were afraid and you were afraid because you were uncovered. You were naked. Let me cover you. Preston, you need this? I got you. I got you. But here's what I've learned. 
over 30 years of walking with him. Yes, there are times when God gives me what I need. But there are also times, many, many times, where God says, hey, Preston, I endorse you in this moment, in this place, getting what you need. Son, I created you with these needs. This, this was an epiphany for me years ago when God gave me Needy by Design. When he said, Preston, I called you to Scottsdale. I handpicked you. And I have created you with unique needs that other people don't have. And you need to understand something. You are killing yourself. I was addicted to caffeine. That's how I was, you know, getting through. I, I wasn't taking care of my body. I wasn't working out. I wasn't doing the things I needed to do. I was band-aiding it with uber amounts of caffeine. And I was crashing. He said, Preston, you're not getting what you need. And I created you to need these things. And there are going to be many times in your life where you think it's godly when you have a need to say, no, I'm okay. That's not godly, Preston. That's bad stewardship. When you're not getting what I created you to need, you can't do what I created you to do. So I got to ask, where am I? Then I got to address, how did I get here? But once I get clear on those two things, the big thing for me is, what do I need? For some of us, the test we're going to take this year is the hardest test God's ever asked us to take. Don't get mad at him. Take it as a compliment. The weightier the testing, the higher his level of trusting. He trusts you. He is with you. Here's my advice to you. Don't make the test harder than it already is. Make it easier. 